0: Welcome to exclusive coverage of the Miami Book Fair International. For more information, log on to miamibookfair.com. So my next guest, I want to go ahead and thank first and foremost our good friends at the Miami Book Fair International. Uh, We've worked with them for... Feels like almost nearly a decade, but they've been so wonderful to us. Uh, Again, they're going to be holding their annual event this year, yet it will be virtual. It will be online. The website is MiamiBookFairOnline.com, and the event will be held virtually November 15th through the 22nd. So my next guest is the Commonwealth Professor of American Studies and History at the University of Virginia. Her previous books include A Nation of Outsiders, How the, Middle, the White Middle Class Fell in Love with the Rebellion in Postwar America and Making Whiteness, the Culture Segregation of Segregation in the South from 1890 to 1940. Now, here's a different twist. The new book she has just put out and titled this year is called Cool Town. How Athens, Georgia Launched Alternative Music and Changed American Culture. And she will be featuring her book at the 38th Annual Miami Book Fair International. Grace Elizabeth Hale joins me. Thanks for being with us, Grace.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: My pleasure. What a fascinating chance to go and read about this. And the thing is, you know, compared to some of the previous titles we just mentioned, there is a different story about this book because of the fact that you lived it. You were part of this. So it's really almost you can feel like it's a bit of autobiographical because of all the personal things you could tell. Now, I did not get a chance to read the book. I did get to look at uh, part of what was out there to go and take a look at and what a lot of people have said about it. So to put context to why you would be such a good person to write about Athens, Georgia and the music scene that was there at the time from the late 70s early 80s and continues on today i must add uh, you were there in the 80s you knew the players you moved there in 1982 to attend University of Georgia, go Bulldogs. You enrolled as a business student, and then uh, five years in, in, in athletes, you then founded the co-founded the Downstairs Cafe Coffee Shop and Music Club with David Levitt, and you would then join him, and together you had a band called Cordy Lawn that you had together. So you were part of this. You had the certain acts that were brought on to this part. You were in the middle of, you know, just like if you think of, what's the street in Nashville Beale Street I think it is or just think of a you know just the idea you were in the center of it all so talk to me about just you know where you were able to go and pull the information from what happened as part of what you were part of as a nucleus of what was Athens Georgia
1: yeah, um, that is uh, a lot of the of the reason that I wrote this book. But to be honest with you, initially it was a barrier because I kept hoping somebody else would write this book. I thought, as somebody who had uh, been a participant, I, I will say not a starring role. I'm more of one of the uh, members of the chorus, you might say, or or the uh, the, <laughs> the actors whose names would be farther down the screen. Right. Um, but as as a participant, as part of you know the sort of circle of what was happening. Um, I kept hoping that some other serious uh, 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 music critic uh, or music historian would write this book, Um, but uh, it didn't happen. And after uh, a friend and really an absolutely brilliantly talented uh, singer-songwriter, Vic Chestnut, who was uh, from Athens, died uh, in 2009, it made me realize that uh, somebody needed to get started interviewing these people that they wouldn't always be around. And so the book is um, a little bit memoir. Uh, it's mostly history and music criticism. It's it's a, not an academic book. It's written for people who love indie alternative music, but there is a little bit of memoir in the story. That really helped me in some ways, though, because when I got started, I at least knew some people to begin to contact They, of course, would put me in touch with other people. I did almost 100 interviews for this book. Wow. Uh, But having that uh, sort of experience in the town gave me a starting point. Uh, I did learn a lot of things that I didn't know about. uh, So it is not just the story of of what I knew or participated in.
0: Oh, absolutely. No, I know you definitely went much farther out of that spectrum. But uh, the one thing is that with this, I would imagine like the you know, run-of-the-mill Rolling Stone, NME, Spin Magazine, columnists, they're not looking to go and make the trip to Athens, Georgia. And I guess for yourself, I'd also imagine that if you were interviewed for a said book, if somebody would have taken the initiative like you're saying and done it, you probably would have – I wouldn't have doubted you. would have. It would have triggered you to go ahead and say, you know what? I know all that's going on here. I can do this book too. I might have to just put up my own copy and, and put my own recollection and what, what I can can gather of it as a as an author. I can imagine that also could come in play too.
1: Yeah, you know, it's a really humbling process, frankly, to to try to think back on your life. All of us are really bad at remembering our life stories and we often, often screw these things up when we recollect them. What we remember are the the stories, the moments, the feelings. Uh, We're bad at timelines and actual dates and maybe it was not that club, but another club where I saw that band. So, um, So I have to say that interviewing so many people, I had a real sense of humility even in approaching my own memories to make sure that I checked them as much as I could against other sources because because all of us uh, do that
0: it was a different it was just an interesting time I'm uh, I'm in Florida so it is something to be said about how Georgia was always depicted and to see the kind of Roxy would come from this or not just so much rock I mean it was the influences of so much other music that was just guitar drum bass driven the idea of you know, just where I I, mean, I just listened to a something on YouTube. Uh, there was a station that actually was just putting out the kind of music that chronicled the first five years of Athens, from seventy eight to eighty three. Everything from it had some that had ska influence, or it had a, a folk influence, or, or a very alternative rock, almost a bit of a new wave influence. So it was definitely something that was just exper- was a bit of an experimental, definitely very uh, in, in direction where. You're just seeing, you're just feeling just a flavor that's just so different and so raw and so creative. And it wasn't something that you would find in New York City or London or, you know, in Los Angeles. It was just, it was a, just a different sound. I want to profile what Georgia Public Radio t- said about the book. Um, so they said like this. Athens, Georgia, was a sleepy southern college town in the late 1970s and early 80s. Georgian bulldogs, football, and established fraternity and sorority scene dominated social life on the campus. But something was per- percolating on the shadows of Millage Avenue, a creative underground as vibrant and as subversive as any as you might find in the country's major cities. It was in this period that Athens became the site of one of the most influential regional, mu- regional music scenes in the late 20th century, spawning uh, groundbreaking bands like the B-52s, Widespread Panic, Pylon, R.E.M., most known to me and others, much like what San Francisco was in the late 60s, Grace, and Seattle was in the early 90s. In the intro to the book, you wrote, quote, in Athens, Georgia in the 1980s, if you were willing, young and willing to live without much money, anything seemed possible. Magic sparkled like sweat on the skin of dancers at a party or club promise winked underfoot like the bits of broken glass embedded in the downtown sidewalks a new world seemed to be emerging out of our creativity our music our art and our politics but also the way we understood ourselves and related to each other love the way you depicted that so the inspirations and influences talk to me about what did foster this new organic scene and you did come into this a few years into the middle of this what were you seeing what was it that really created all this That really just you were catching it right as it's starting to make its really make an evolution.
1: Yeah, well, I think that you know there's a few key structural issues. It's a it's a it's an isolated place. It's a very inexpensive place at the time, and uh, there is a large public university there. Now that university, uh, my own alma mater, has pretensions of elite grandeur. But let me just say it didn't then. It was easy to get into. It was cheap to go to. um, And I see those as strengths, not as weaknesses. Uh, So it had a wide variety of students from all over the state mostly, but neighboring states as well. Um, And most importantly, all the resources of of that public university which were available then to the public. You didn't even have to be a student. You could use the library. You could look at the old magazines. You could listen to the old musical recordings and watch important old films in the film library. All of those resources we now take for granted on the web, they were there in the library. So those key factors were there. But at the same time, you had those those factors in other places, other um, college towns, small town college towns across the country. So it's important, I think, to think about a few key individuals. And there, um, I think it's really important to note the influence of the gay and queer community in Athens. I've had grown up around, a, particularly around the art school, but not entirely, per, pretty closeted community, not entirely uh, in, the, in the sort of post-World War II era, uh, but that community nurtured A few key individuals like Jeremy Ayers uh, and uh, much more famous individuals like Ricky Wilson and Keith Strickland, who are uh, key members of the B 52s. And those early key figures um, really played a role, particularly Jeremy Ayers, who moved off to New York City, uh, became a part of the drag queen burlesque kind of scene there in the late 60s and 70s, Uh, got in with uh, Andy Warhol's factory during the period when War. Warhol was interested in the drag queens, um, became a became a minor uh, Warhol drag queen named Silva Thin um, and brought that kind of spirit of of creative communal activity back to Athens.
0: I'm not too long ago, I read the book FM, which was a uh, pen by Richard Near about the really just the change of what you were hearing with music going on in terms of just the, the rock guitar-based sound that was just changing and evolving so much. So, you know, there might have been a point, obviously, if people were identifying with the South, you're definitely thinking of Southern rock, you're thinking of Allman Brothers, you're thinking of Leonard Skynyrd, and things like that were just starting to... We're, we're definitely into the forefront. And... But the thing was that, you know, obviously, there was just late 70s, you know, you're thinking disco, you're thinking where it just... There was a definite move for the next decade to change and real shake-up change. That's why punk was so uh, so strong in that. That's why you even heard where Scott or break or your breakbeat or just uh, where you just I guess again, that's why they wanted to call it alternative sound. It just started to make a change. It was interesting how it happened over here. Now, Wikipedia, which I'll take with a grain of salt, there the entry they put out for the. Section called the music of Athens, Georgia, they say, quote, the contributions of Athens to rock, country music and bluegrass have earned it. The nickname the Liverpool of the South and the city is known as one of the American birthplaces for both modern alternative rock and new wave music. When you look at Athens, Grace, and its contribution to the annals of music history, why do you think it was able to make such a big impact while being detached to any big city record labels?
1: Well, I think in part that was why it made a big impact. Um, it was the right time for an isolated place. You know, the revolt against uh, the, the big music industry, um, the corporate music industry, really carried across um, what we sometimes talk about as a kind of revolt against disco or the pushback against stadium rock. I think more than particular genres, there was a kind of uh, revolt against the idea that corporations were, were creating or managing or, or controlling what music we, we get to hear. And sometimes I think people forget that the 70s, late 70s and 80s was a very anti-corporate time for a lot of youth cultures, especially rebelling, uh, you know, during the Reagan era against the kind of rise of the yuppie and the idea that greed is good. There's a real there's a real underground movement against that. Um, and so there's a rebellion against the music industry. So not being a center of the music industry, actually, paradoxically, in this Particular moment is a plus, Um, whether it's earned or not. It it, it suggests that the music coming out of a place is more authentic, more real. I mean, we we can deconstruct that, but that's the that's the kind of reigning idea at the time. Uh, And um, you know, New York folks, music critics in New York are hugely important important in making. Athens, this music center, because they really embrace this idea that Athens is full of all of these, in some ways, it's a kind of a stereotypical dumb idea, but these southern bumpkins that are just like inherently naturally creative and weird and exotic because they're, you know, like some kind of strange gourd growing out of the ground down there, the red clay of Georgia, you know. So there is almost that kind of idea, that kind of stereotypical idea with the music critics, but they're just interested in anything coming out of this place because it seems so. Exotic, so completely unexpected, unheralded, unimaginable, uh, and that really um, plays to that. That helps Athens musicians to get to get some, uh, you know, to get noticed. Uh, to get they they all manage to go to New York City and play pretty early in their careers because of this kind of interest.
0: I'm a big uh, radio file, so my radio history is where I really look at. When it comes to music, it's just, of course, it just comes together. And I just think about the early '80s, and I just think about the fact that the music got very, very soft to contemporary. The corporate rock had kind of really just blown people out a little bit. Too much stakes, too much uh, journey going on, and they just became the, the just the, the establishment. The establishment was just consultants and just really controlling the playlist, That free form of rock that you would hear you know if it would have stayed around for the 80s then you would have heard some of these bands from athens come to the limelight much sooner across the country but it is what it is now av club i want to take from a few different stories that had featured the book so av reviewed the book and they said quote that you made the case that without the small southern college town there would be no grungy seattle no hipster william burke no weird austin While punk, metal, and new wave music was finding audiences bucking against the disco and stadium rock coming from the mainstream. Talking about the niche that the bands in Athens were able to look to carve, and were they any way parallel to what was going on around the country? Because, again, at this time, you were saying it again, it's a resistance to this corporate establishment of what was being put out in mainstream music. We wanted something different. We went to the underground and in the lab, something was being built and created that would become the music of the next decade.
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. It absolutely has connections to the the kind of punk and post-punk revolt going on in New York and also to a certain degree in LA and Southern California and a few other big cities in America. Um, you know, I think the revolt against disco gets overplayed. I, I don't know how you feel about that down in Miami. I know you got. Like to dance, um, I think that you know there's some interesting like radio disc jockey you know stunts about hating disco and all that, but but um, but but certainly there is a revolt against kind of overproduced or what is imagined as overproduced, over mechanical, too, too corporate, too big business uh, music, whether whatever the sound. Um, uh, I will say in Athens, people love to dance. Um, the, the the gay kind of queer influence on the scene meant that there was, you had to have a dance beat. So there wasn't really that anti-disco <laughs> thing as much, but absolutely that anti-stadium rock. And, and really it's shaped against Southern, as you mentioned, against Southern rock, which is, you know, what you're going to be hearing on a lot of radio stations across the Southeast at that time. You know, Macon is not that far from Athens. It's yep. the center of Southern rock. So there was a revolt against that. You do not hear any wanking guitars on, on, uh, in Athens music until, until, you know, a decade or plus into it before anyone will venture to do what I call at least a kind of wanking guitar solo, (laughs) Uh, that is just not acceptable, right? That is, so there is this vision of all of these, in all these places of creating a kind of authentic, raw, amateur music, Um, and, you know, this idea that that amateurs can be real, that they can be raw, that this can give us back um, a kind of authentic feeling and, you know, uh, sound in our music. Sometimes, frankly, uh, you know, that just means the music sounds rough and ragged and the musicians maybe could practice a little or the recording could be done better. So when you listen to it now, sometimes you can you can kind of push back against that, <laughs> that sort of understanding that amateur always means better. But, but in this time period, there is that kind of sense that this is where authenticity lies. I mean, what makes Athens so important and why I think the AV Club pulled out that, you know, made that, you know, argument about what, you know, that this is the ground zero is Athens is the place that, that proves that you can do it anywhere. I mean, if yeah. punk says you only have to know three chords to be, to make, to create your own band, uh, maybe not even that. Uh, Athens says you you can know those three chords and you can just sit down wherever you are with your friends uh, and, and your housemates uh, and make that music. You do not have to go to New York City. You do not have to go to LA. In fact, you will be more authentic, more real if you stay where you are, if you mine your local resources. You know, now we live in this time where everybody loves local food yeah. and local art, but you know, that was not a thing. In the 70s and 80s no there wasn't even a concept of that local meant bad <laughs> you know <laughs> you know, you know every, that 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 wasn't the concept and so athens is a really key key site in what we might call this kind of revolution of thinking of local particularity or regional particularity as something that actually is valuable that you need to actually mine that dig into that 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 is the source of authentic uh, artistic production, whether it's music or some other, other medium.
0: Just to unpack from before, Anything that corporate touches is just for me. I'm I'm just a bit of like the anti the nonconformist, where I just feel like the disco had its had its time, and I think there was a lot in that scene that actually really offered a lot when it came to minorities or LGBTQ. That there was just a lot that was there that could be said about the freedom and, and the things were brought from that. So I always respect the scene, but again, it's the same way I would respect the scene, like Athens. Again, but anything we come, that takes a, that has a corporate approach, and when that in the late seventies, what seventy eight, seventy nine. When it just died, it needed to. It it needed to do something because I think corporate wanted to just go ahead and cram in so much because they felt like this has a short self-life. We're just going to flood the market. And they did, and they destroyed it. It just it's yeah. their fault. They you know they get out of touch. People from big cities is what happens. But when it comes yeah. to Athens, it's a. I mean, it, it was like when I went to college. It's college radio. It's like it's college campus rock. But you're getting great. You're getting great turnout at bars, clubs, concerts for the music's going on. It's just a good, new, fresh sound. And yeah. it was something to be necessary. So I can love where that started coming from, and it was different. It was just, you know, it was a. I mean, you couldn't expect it to be done in a big corporate, like an RCA records or, you know, capital or something like that. You just can't get that kind of thing here. So the A&R people, you know, they should learn they need to just learn. Hey, you know what? There's something good going on in Athens. That's probably what it was, was word of mouth that made people learn about Athens. But for me, that. I always respect those indie uh, artists and the record labels that are on right now that just can't, there's still good music right now in the underground rock is in the mainstream dead. And it's, I mean, it, it saddens me today. It's been like that for a long time. I'll ask about that in a little bit, but uh, moving along, I want to go now talk about university of Georgia. When they talked to you about this, they're a school newspaper the red and black. Uh, you spoke with them about the book and you told them quote, what happened in athens quote began to develop as hipster places in other parts of the south places like tuscaloosa alabama and columbia south carolina also college towns i might add different kinds of music clubs and restaurants and the general cultural landscape of the music scene didn't exist before athens athens inspired these places and a really important part of the story is rem rem was actually the first band to play in all these places i thought it was funny the first time they got together as a band they played at a birthday party (laughs) the first time they performed in 1980 and they would play anywhere and everywhere and everywhere they went people wanted to find out about this place called athens and where rem came from and you know rem was just starting to make its, you know again making its name the mainstream was not going to see them for a while b fifty b- two's might to have gotten an album that was, or a song like A Rock Lobster in 1982 that became a mild hit and still is a cult, it's like a cult hit today. But again, just some of the rumblings of Athens being looked at as a place to, to go listen for new music where new music and new artists were coming in. And that's what you made a point across. Now, one other thing I want to make mention of, well, actually, first part, talk to me about how you mentioned how this did spread into other areas in the South.
1: Yeah, well, um, you know, something that you picked up on earlier and I really didn't address, and that's part of the answer to this. I would say, you know, two things that are going on with the spread here. One are the touring bands, and two is college radio. And you you alluded to this earlier, but the college radio is where the DJs can play anything. I mean, even college radio over time, by the late eighties and early nineties, becomes a little bit more routinized, a little bit more organized, or you might use that dreaded word, professionalized, <laughs> um, right. less creative, but especially in the late seventies through the mid eighties in, um, in Athens and other major college radio uh, uh, stations, you know, DJs have a lot of freedom to play what they want, and are, and in Athens they pretty quickly develop um, local music shows, uh, DJs pull in local music even into their other playlists, um, and because UOG is considered to be, uh, even before Athens Music, for some reason it's a pretty well-organized, well-run music station, other music, other college radio stations look at their playlists, and so that helps spread, you know, that helps spread Athens Music because they copy from each other, they share their playlists list with each other who what's in heavy rotation but the other thing is um besides college radio is touring bands it's live bands touring yeah they might have a little you know a little single along with them or later on a kind of rickety cassette but <laughs> that they're selling at the show yeah. or in local <laughs> in local uh, you know music shops which of course still exist at that time all yeah. the local music shops and you can buy singles from bands all over the country you've never heard of for you know a dollar or two dollars but mostly it's the live show it's the touring and and REM is absolutely crucial here because they're not the first Athens band by a long stretch right. there are many others before them but the other bands, We'll just talk about B-52s and Pylon. Some people laugh and say they're commuting to New York. They'll play Athens, and then they might play Atlanta. Maybe they'll play DC. But the main place they play besides Athens is New York City in the early days, in the late 70s. um, REM comes along. These guys will play anywhere, and they do. It's part of the REM myth, but I researched it. It is actually true. They will play hot dog stands. They will play wow. <laughs> pizza parlors. They will play, um, all, you know, this is a thing in this period, so REM's not the only band to do this, but in a lot of parts of the country, the only place that would book a band like this are the are the gay clubs that'll have a new wave night. Mm-hmm and then they'll book some live music. Um, and so REM will play these clubs. Now to be fair to the other bands, all the other Athens bands have folks that are queer, gay, gender non-conforming. You don't wanna be driving around uh, rural Georgia and Alabama. I mean, there is a rampant homophobia at this time. So to yeah. be fair, um, there are real important reasons why some of these bands did not want to tour just in any place <laughs> right. out there. Um, people were fearful. Um, you know, Michael Stipe uh, is now very much out as gay, but but then was not. And um, you know, certainly his public presentation of himself. Um, there are stories of him, and it's uh, he was actually uh, he did get mugged once in Athens. People called him a fag and beat him up. Oh. So I don't want to I don't want to diminish that. Um, I think people forget that the favorite insult that 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 replaced the N word in a lot of parts of the country, at least for for a certain segment of young, white, tough kind of kids mm-hmm. was was faggot. Right. That yeah. that's that was the replacement. So there were real reasons people didn't want to tour. But the R.E.M. guys, they went everywhere. They slept in their van. If you invited into your house, they would eat all your food. <laughs> um, without asking, and uh, <laughs> they they had no money, right? But yeah. they they just had this romance of the guys in the beat up van on the road. Um, you know, uh, Pete Bucket read. Um, Had read a lot of Kerouac and they just got out there (laughs) and they they went everywhere and they really spread uh, the word of Athens and the idea that you could do this wherever you are. You can make your own scene. And bizarrely enough, in a lot of these small towns and, and college towns around the Southeast and Midwest, some of these first, what we might later call alternative bands start out as REM cover bands
0: yeah and you know what interesting bring up my next point people would then try to copy them people wanted to start their own bands create their own communities like athens rm was not only spreading their music but they were spreading the word about what they would call later alternative culture and it was a term that didn't even exist when they started doing it alternative came to identify new rock from the late 80s to the mid 2000s and now alternative and no longer has that definition they still use that term but it means nothing and my thing is now is that you know I've talked to a number of radio people and a lot of people in music about what happened to that music because it's now all digital. It's it's just unfortunate. You're not going to hear the k- things that have like a recording session of a Muscle Shoals, Alabama, or something where you just have this raw instrumental sound. It's not there. My thing is, what do you think is what happened to music and where that music is being played was played, was is instrumental? I feel like it's only in Nashville now.
1: Yeah. Um, I think it's a real it's a real uh shame. I mean, some of it is the proliferation of inexpensive technology and so yeah. people can produce a very produced sound in their own, you know, literally garage or home. You know, whereas, you know, in the old days a garage band was a garage band because it sounded if you recorded it, it sounded like crappy recording because it was. I mean, Pylon's first demo tapes were made on a cassette player on Kmart brand tapes <laughs> and they sound like it. You know, so so uh, the technology allows us really cheaply to make very produced, very slick uh, recordings anywhere. So I think that is part of it. I guess the question for me arises, why doesn't why don't more people want to do something different? And and I I would bet they're out there. You know, I'm just of the generation that I don't know where they are. Right. I'm too old to know. But I think <laughs> that there are young folks out there um, making uh, raw sounding, uh, uh, less produced sounding music. Um, you know, again, the, the internet is a blessing. The technology's a blessing and a curse. The internet uh, means that you can circulate your music very easily. The yeah. question is who's your audience, right? Who, who's going to find oh, it? I think where your audience hear it?
0: I'll tell you where your audience is now it's TikTok. I mean, for me, it's amazing what, what kind of influence TikTok has now. And when I've heard some of the rare recordings that have come up that have been brought back to life and all of a sudden Fleetwood Mac and Dreams is now a hit again. It's number 20 on the on the uh, the Billboard Hot 100. <laughs> what? And number one song on the Billboard 200. What what happened here? Yeah. There is room for this kind of music again. I mean, Fleetwood Mac is a different. That's a super group, you know, one thing. But again, right. rock, rock, guitar, bass sound like okay there is an audience for that the younger audience can come back and embrace that music again they don't have to hear some kind of a trap bass sound out of a A 8 or some other computer bass sound they can they will want to hear instrumental i think yeah. that kind of music can come back but i mean it's being held back by the mainstream. it has to be a grassroots mo- movement once again like athens to bring that back again so you talked university of virginia where you're at now your the arts magazine is in there and i want to take uh, take us into a positive note as we wrap up the interview they wrote possibility it's an idea that keeps coming up on the idea on the pages of hale's book you told them quote Athens also gave me a way to think about the history of possibility. It's not hard to understand why people fail when they try to make a better world. I wanted to ask a different question. What makes people try? The way music has gotten so digital and so homogenized in many respects, do you feel like there is a time now for more possibility, Grace?
1: I really do. But, you know, I think that we're in a really tough, tough moment. I mean, when are we going to be able to congregate together in in crowded, you know, dirty clubs that don't smell good um, (laughs) where the air conditioning isn't working and we're breaking Mm -hmm. the fire code. You know, I mean, there's something about that impulse among young people to crowd together um, that the, and so much creativity comes out of that. And I think you see that on TikTok, you know, lots of, at least early on now, of course it too is being professionalized, but a lot of amateur, you know, creativity really, really on display on places in, in social media like TikTok. But I I really feel like um, we need that in-person audience to come come back because that is where you actually meet other producers, other creators um, in ways that are unexpected. I mean, yes, you can meet them through the through through the Internet. Um, but it's not by chance. You can't you can't catch something that you weren't looking for. It's harder to have the unexpected encounter or the or the ca- encounter with something that you might have thought you hated, but now you you hear something in it. Um, maybe it's again, just because I'm older, but I feel like part of the revolution is going to be um, the the underground coming back. Um, in a in a face to face way, and we were seeing this before the pandemic in the kind of house culture, um, house party culture that is really really vibrant in cities like Richmond, Virginia, um, and other places. Um, often, again, linked to college campuses, young people who don't have money or with clubs. You know, there's not a professional club infrastructure, but there wasn't in Athens either in the beginning. House parties were key, and that was really really um, thriving in a lot of locations. Yeah before the pandemic and hopefully that will come back
0: i think what's going to happen with this pandemic a lot of things a lot of entertainment has been shuttered and there's i mean i'm looking about i got another interview coming up uh, that i'm gonna be recording uh, when it comes to what's going on in new york in terms of broadway being shut down foreseeable future at least until summer of 2021 or even more after that same thing with movies just the entertainment that we have i think if there is a time where it feels like you know politics are really in our face, which is always that way, music was always the one factor that if you wanted to break away and escape what was going on and really vent and really just feel all this raw energy and put it into something, music was that. And you can't do that with machines. You could do that with instruments. You could do that with on on stage performance i think we're going to get the idea of speakeasies again i think there are going to be like you said these house parties i think there's going to be this underground movement that's going to come from this and out of the masses it's going to just go ahead and bring us there will be an opening of a crossover again which is what we had in the 80s and 90s of different music that was coming out that we could appreciate and i think that crossover needs to come back into music again where it makes it into the charts it makes it into where people could go ahead and find it once again, and there's a rumbling, there's a there's an interest. Okay, this underground movement grows from it, and then it starts up, and then people start attaching themselves again. I feel like this can, can come from it. Um, I guess the only thing I think is that are there any groups? I mean, would like an REM? Would there be groups like that? That uh, would they look at the Athens music, Athens music scene now? Before the pandemic, it was still somewhat thriving. There was a lot of music going on. Now, is there any kind of mentorship going on? Or anything that can be done in order to just, you know, get some kind of either music capital or something to just help, you know, foster and mentor some of these groups so they can make it to somewhere again, if they can make it into a record label and get a deal and get the chance to be noticed and then start a new movement of this music.
1: Yeah, you see that happening in Athens today. I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bands. Uh, there's a, an old friend of mine who still lives there and runs a recording studio in the music business program at UGA, too, now. And his mm-hmm. name's Dave Garvey. And he says there's over 500 bands there wow. at any given moment. And they are absolutely mentored by older musicians who've been around forever. One big problem in Athens, though, is there's never, there have been various local labels that are, have been established, but none of them have ever really kind of hit that. That little bit of a level where you're local, but you're but you've got sort of a a, a little bit of a widespread, you know, nationally sort of known, but locally based. Um, it, it doesn't seem like the music labels that have been started in Athens over the years have ever hit that kind of sweet spot. Um, Athens bands used to, in fact, be on be much more frequently on Atlanta labels like uh, DB Records. But um, so there is a need for that. There's a need for that kind of recording, uh, you know, a record label. But that works in a totally different way now, right? I mean, the yeah. way record. But just before we run out of time, I want to put a shout out for Pylon, a group that is releasing all of their their catalog is being re-released on New West Records, um, both individually and in a really fancy, beautiful box set with a book. Um, And I think TikTok really needs Pylon. So all you TikTok (laughs) video makers out there, I think, you know, put Fleetwood Mac aside (laughs) and start (laughs) using Pylon.
0: No, I agree, but I'll say this too, uh, you know, and this is just for me, you know, in other countries like the UK or Canada, they have actually government programs where they have things where they can actually, where the public interest will help to try to get this kind of music together. NPR, I want to outcry to them, put a music show on or a music podcast on that offers room. You did Austin City Limits for many years. Why can't you do something for Athens? Why can't we do that for music again? That's what I work. That's where I want to come from with things.
1: I think it's a great idea. I mean, take the idea of the tiny desk concert and let's go. Let's go bigger with that. You know, great. let's have much more of that kind of musical programming coming from NPR, uh, from public, you know, state level public radio uh, stations and television stations. All of those things could program more, um, more of this kind of music, and hopefully they will in the future.
0: Exactly. There we go. Uh, we'll leave it there now. Uh, real quickly, you're going to be at the thirty eighth annual Miami Book Fair International which is going to be held virtually November 15th to the 22nd website is miamibookfaironline.com uh tell our listeners when we can see you
1: I don't actually know So you, <laughs> it's going to horrible.
0: be the schedule's coming up and you'll find out pretty soon
1: Yes, I apologize. The material no, is okay. pre-recorded and there's going to be some live Q&As, but they have not let me know the schedule. So
0: No problem. And I also see your website. You have it is your full name graceelisabethhale.com. Um and also where can people go and follow you on social media?
1: Uh I am on Twitter only. I'm not much of a social media person, I have to right. say I Facebook is evil. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree. Grace Hale on Twitter if you want to follow me.
0: All right, fantastic. Again, uh, I've been joined by Grace Elizabeth Hale again. Uh, She is Commonwealth Professor of American Studies and History at the University of Virginia and author of Cool Town, How Athens, Georgia Launched Alternative Music and Changed American Culture. Go find the book, grab yourself a copy today. Grace, thank you so much for being with us.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun.
0: The opinions expressed on this program